Escape from Plan A. Welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm your host, Adam Goodman. Uh, and in this episode, um, we're going to be continuing our series on adoptees without citizenship. Um, and in this installment, um, we're going to be discussing, um, because it's the end of the year, um, we're going to be giving an update on the uh, ad- advocacy around the legislation to, that has been in um, a few Congresses now um, about fixing um, this issue. Um, and we're going to give an update on that, um, the upcoming challenges, um, a bit of discussion on, um, I think, congressional strategy and, all, uh, you know, and what's to come in 2021, um, because there's a new Congress in 2021. Um, and I am joined uh, by a few guests. And um, the first guest I'd like, like to mention is um, her name is Joy Lessie. And Joy is the executive director of the Adoptee Rights Campaign. Uh, Joy was adopted from South Korea and discovered she was not a citizen in her 20s. Uh, since learning that citizenship failure affects thousands of international adoptees, Joy has been a voice for the community and has helped to educate both advocates and policymakers of the problems adoptees face without citizenship protection. Um, now, Joy will be uh, introducing our um, next guest. So, um, Joy, take it away. Thanks, Adam. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us, too. They are some of the most experienced professionals in adoption and immigration-related policies. Rana is an adoptee without citizenship and has been working with the Adoptee Rights Campaign since 2016. Sungkwon Jang serves as the program director at the Korean American Grassroots Conference located in Washington, D.C. Sungkwon oversees legislative and public relations, digital strategies, and education programs. And he has also worked on the Adoptee Citizenship Bill for the last two years. Great. Uh, thank you, Joy. Uh, and um, we'll just get right into it. And um, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, Sung Kwan, if you wanted to, to jump in here and, and sort of just, you know, I guess, give us maybe um, some history on what's been going on. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know, just fill us in on on the ACA. Sure. Um, well, thanks for having me uh, be part of this conversation again. And really, thank you, everybody, on this conversation for your years of tireless advocacy and uh, work. I really appreciate it. Uh, so the Adoptee, uh, Adoptee Citizenship Act uh, in this Congress was introduced uh, pretty early on uh, in the Congress. So there, uh, each Congress lasts for two years, so this current Congress, which is going to uh, expire and you know get dismissed at the end of the calendar year, started on January third, twenty nineteen, and this is the third bill or the third Congress that the bill entitled Adoptive Citizenship Act was introduced, and um, although it wasn't enacted um, and it probably won't be by the end of the calendar year. Um, we did see um, the most 
number of co-sponsors, both in the Senate and the House, uh, joining to support the bill uh, than a- any other Congresses. Do, do you have a number for that? Uh, yes. So uh, as of today, uh, the House version has 116 co-sponsors. That's uh, the members of Congress who have officially signed on to the bill to support it, uh, in addition to the member who introduced the bill. Um, out of the right. 116, 64 are Democrats and 31 are Republicans. And I think it's also worth uh, noteworthy to mention that 34 of these co-sponsors, um, all Democrats, have joined since September 15. And that's because up until that point, um, those working on this bill uh, in Congress wanted to announce the co-sponsors in bipartisan pairs. If you have a one Democrat uh, expressing support for the bill, they wanted to wait until they secure a Republican uh, who would like to co-sponsor the bill as to uh, make sure that this bill does not get sucked into, uh, say, partisan bickering and unnecessary um, political arguments, uh, which uh, we will get more uh, get more into later on in the show. Um, so that's what's been happening. But as of September 15, when those when these uh, dozens of new co-sponsors were announced, that pretty much announced uh, or signaled that there is virtually no chance that this bill is going to be enacted uh, within this Congress. Uh, okay, so you're saying that up until then, um, we were following the strategy of getting the one-to-one Republican-Democrat <coughs> co- uh, sponsorship, Absolutely, right? yes. And I, so, um, basically, you know, I think what, what that says to me, uh, uh, that was a sound strategy, like you said, because we wanted to make sure that there wasn't, you couldn't, people couldn't attack the bill by saying it was completely partisan, right? Because if you have an equal number of Republicans and Democrats, then obviously that's like the definition of bipartisan, right? Right, right, exactly. Uh, so I, then you were saying that after September, because there was a long, longer list of Democrats that were sort of, you know, willing to co- co-sign uh, or sponsor the bill, that because we just sort of allowed that to happen or pe- it happened, that it sort of signaled that people recognized that there wasn't um, – there wasn't a, 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 as big a chance or, or basically saying, look, we know it's not going to pass at this Congress. So we just want to express support. Is that sort of? Well, what's been happening was, and this happened in the last Congress too, is that um, since, since there's, um, there's it's, since it, it was, or it's been easier to find support in the Democratic Party um, on Capitol Hill, there was quote unquote, a, a wait list of Democratic members who wanted to co-sponsor the bill. So, but even if they, they uh, let the, the leaders of the bill know that they would like to co-sponsor the bill, it was those leaders who wanted to hold, hold off uh, announcing their support until right. Right, we find a pair. But uh, what happened on September 15th is that uh, when they announced all these Democrats, um, the they pretty much released everybody off the wait list and made it public that there's this many people um, who've been waiting on the wait list, uh, which uh, indirectly mean that uh, we don't have as many Republicans who are um, supporting the bill, and we probably won't be able to find as many Republicans um, by the end of the calendar year 
or move this bill forward on the legislative process. Okay. Um, and well, Joy, feel free to jump in. I, I think you have just as much to share um, on the, uh, I guess, the advancement of the bill, both this Congress and the last Congress, uh, as I do. Right. So I think it's really significant what you've said, Sun Quan, in terms of the, the numbers. Um, you know, to, what you've essentially said is two things. I think, um, first, uh, we had a significant increase overall in support. Um, the total support, whether, you know, both Republicans and Democrats. Um, so the total, uh, you know, this year is to what, I'm sorry, you said 116 in the House. Mm-hmm. So and how many was it in the Senate? Uh, eight co-sponsors. Okay. Okay. And was that evenly split? Uh, that was six Democrats and two Republicans. Okay. So, you know, is, is, you know, obviously that there's a, you know, large difference in that number, but if we look at the track record of this bill in the last three consecutive Congresses, those numbers have, you know, made significant progress. And it's, you know, we all understand this is, you know, we're in a tough era here for, um, you know, any legislation. So I think um, in 2015, um, total co-sponsorship, both houses, I mean, a total 13 together. Really? Wow. 13 co-sponsors, total House and Senate together. And then- So 13 to, you know, over 120. In the 115th Congress, we had a total of 49 co-sponsors total, both houses. And I don't know what the split was in terms of party, but it was a Mm. total for both houses of 49. So it went from- 30, what was it? So it went from 13 to 49 to this Congress, the 116th Congress that we are completing at this juncture. Right. A total of 116 in the House and eight in the Senate. So that's quite a jump. And I think that that's significant considering how difficult of a climate politically, you know, that we are in. And I think what that speaks to is the massive efforts um, of the campaign, Um, you know, and I don't mean just the adoptee rights campaign. I mean, the campaign across the nation to bring, you know, justice to this issue, to solve the issue of citizenship for adoptees. So we have so many, we've grown so much and we have so many new organizations and volunteers uh, and community members um, pitching in and talking to their, you know, reaching out to their members of Congress. And, um, you know, I'd like to uh, return back to uh, Sun Quan and, um, you know, just uh, hear how KGC has really led this effort for the, you know, the last two years massively in Washington, D.C. with their national conferences and other conferences. No, ab- absolutely. On uh, There are so, uh, there's been so much more progress on this bill and on our collective effort uh, over the past two years in this co- current Congress. Uh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm particularly proud to have been able to see um, the exact specific things that we wanted to get done in this Congress, right? I, I think it was um, maybe a year, a year and a half ago when um, uh, ARC 
hosted this uh, um, strategization meeting uh, in Nevada. Um, and uh, the things that we discussed back then to launch as soon as the 116th Congress would open, uh, we made that into reality, right? Uh, the first thing we wanted to get done was to make sure that this bill would be introduced as early as possible so that we would uh, we would be afforded a longer runway to secure more co-sponsors to hopefully get this bill to a committee hearing and then uh, hopefully get it passed in at least one of the chambers. And uh, although that didn't happen, but like Joey said, we now have the most uh, more co-sponsors than we ever did, uh, uh, more bipartisan than before. Uh, and on top of that, it was introduced early on and we made more uh, more visits, uh, more physical visits on Capitol Hill uh, than before, right? Um, well, one one thing is, um, I remember it last last summer in 2019 when KAGC had, had um, our annual national conference. Um, we drew about 600 people from what was it, 30 or 31 states, and one of the first um, one of the First policy priorities that our constituents advocated for and asked members of Congress for support on was Adoptive Citizenship Act. And on that visit alone, I think we secured about a dozen uh, co-sponsors. And then early um, early January this year in 2020, uh, when a few dozens of our college students made a round on Capitol Hill, uh, we got to bring in a lot of um, conservative members who had been previously uh, opposed to the idea of the word citizenship alone, right? And those members include uh, some of the leaders of the House Freedom Caucus, uh, which are, are known to be uh, not so open to uh, granting citizenship or, you know, uh, laxing immigration policy or anything that has to do with immigration. Um, so that was a pleasant surprise. And we also got to launch together uh, what is called the National Alliance for Adoptee Equality uh, in November 2019, where um, several members of Congress, including Congressman Adam Smith and Rob Woodall, who are the lead uh, on the House bill, uh, join us and explain why they support it, why it's so important uh, for this bill to pass. Uh, and we brought in a lot of our supporters, advocates, but more importantly, the impact the families and adoptees themselves uh, sharing courageously, sharing their own stories uh, before members of Congress. I think that was a huge, huge achievement. I think that made a long-lasting, deep impact uh, that really uh, brought us to where we are today. Uh, and with that launch of the NAAE, uh, we also started an um, online petition campaign um, through which uh, to date, uh, I think we have uh, 283 signatories who live in 138 different congressional districts across 40 states, and two-thirds of them live in the districts represented by members who have not yet co-sponsored the bill. So I think that, that these altogether have been a very, very effective campaign, and I, I really can't thank um, Joy Ark. Uh, and Susan of Holt um, and everybody else who signed on to the petition, who've made the visit to Capitol Hill together uh, despite all these obstacles and who've been 
you know, raising awareness of this issue in general over the past two years and really beyond. Uh, yeah, no, that, yeah, well said. Uh, and um, I think, like, so do you feel, um, and this is for, for you know, Joey Rana or Sun Quan, um, that sort of like the lessons that we've learned, because obviously one of our goals was to get it passed, but um, we, you know, that, that didn't happen, unfortunately. But it, I, for me, like hearing you, <clears throat> Sun Quan, talk about sort of the things that we wanted to do and the fact that like, it was introduced as quickly as we could. And, and, you know, there were so many more meetings and, uh, you know, uh, uh, impacted adoptees were able to speak, you know, directly to the, to the representatives. Um, like, do you feel that like th- this momentum will continue or do you feel like it's just going to, you know, that, that it'll, it'll sort of be lost in the next Congress. Cause to me, you know, we're talking about all of these, like, like the increase of the growth in sponsors. And it's like a, it's a, it's a, such an exponential growth in sort of support we're seeing from that aspect of it. Right. Uh, and, you know, to go from, you know, 13 to 49 to 124 in three Congresses seems like a pretty big, you know, that that's, that's the direction we want to go. Right. Uh, and, um, so it seems like I, I'm looking at this from a more, I like, I'm trying to be positive and say, it looks like we've learned a lot of lessons of what we need to do to sort of get, get it passed. Uh, and that we should just, you know, hopefully we, we can continue and build on that. Well, that's a, I think that's a really good point, Adam. I think that, you know, that's exactly, you know, why podcasts like these are so important, especially at the end of the congressional session, when people are sort of um, tired out and feeling like, oh, here we go again, it died. Mm-hmm. And um, the end result, we didn't reach our goal. Of course, our, our goal is always to get the bill passed. We've never um, you know, had a strategy for a messaging bill. This is not just a campaign. Right. This is, you know, a, you know, we need policy change. We need policy reform here. So that's the goal. But um, I think given the circumstances, again, the, the political climate, the difficulties that are, um, you know, are country has faced this year specifically and the amount of, um, you know, uh, distraction that that has caused for us to continue to see the increase in sponsorship is really, I think, telling um, that people aren't quite as disconnected as as uh, we might think that people do still care. And even yeah. though, of course, we didn't pass the bill, uh, what we did did receive is the broader awareness, the broader knowledge. We have more members of Congress now aware. So every time a member is visited by um, a constituent or called or by uh, the um, conferences and the advocacy days that uh, especially KAGC is so well known for, um, that this is one more member of Congress, you know, that that is uh, aware uh, and, you know, this is, you know, sort of the grassroots work of, of what we yeah. do. It is very difficult. It's tiresome. It's, it takes a long time. But I think um, Congressman Smith um, said it well in a previous interview when he said, with legislation, you must be uh, persistent and patient. 
I was going to say, uh, um, speaking as an impacted adoptee, um, I think um, this session of Congress was so important to us because previous to this, um, I think a lot of adoptees were afraid to speak out and to share uh, the, you know, just the hardship of what it's been like. You had a lot of adoptees prior to the last four years that really didn't have any place to go. And so this has been incredible, I think, to uh, finally, I think, lend a voice to the issue because I think uh, previous attempts at this bill, I think the voice that was missing this entire time was the impacted adoptees. And so I think going into a new session of Congress and administration, I think as an adopt impacted adoptee and the rest of the community are going to feel maybe a, a different level of safety to continue to speak out and and share those stories and ask for legislation to be passed. I think, Rana, that's so right. I mean, you're so right on that. And that was, that is um, really, uh, that was part of our um, vision when we first came together um, to ARC was recognizing that there was not a not only a lack of public awareness and a lack of information, but there was you know, just not a platform for adoptees to go to. There was no one supporting it. So we really had to create it ourselves. And I think that, um, you know, our mission, you know, has continued to be that, has has continued to be to provide a place and a platform for adoptees to be able to come out safely, um, you know, to whether it's, you know, to the press or to members of Congress or to their communities. And um, it, it really is a testament to their courage, um, as well as to the um, resources that we're creating and the work that we're doing to be able to p- provide this space for them. And I think um, the USA Today um, paper yesterday was, a, you know, a prime example of that, um, where um, Michael Liberton, you, you know, was able to come out and he was on the front page. You know, we have not had a front page print, you know, story in how long. I I honestly didn't even know we still printed, you know, newspapers. Right. <laughs> so I was surprised to see that. But I was just, you know, absolutely elated because what that says is we have done our jobs, you know, we have created a space and we, you know, I think that this is just so important. I was just so elated for him and, and he gets the support and I was watching his um, Facebook feed um, fill up too. And that's another thing that adoptees who are in isolation don't have access to is they do not have access to the support of their own communities. Yeah. And that's really important. Absolutely. Um, And uh, to that, to that point, I really want to applaud and thank uh, Adopt Your Rights campaign for, for your work, because not only were you able to provide direct services over the years to, uh, to those in need of help, but also you really got to amplify uh, this um, otherwise under, over, over, um, over, overseen and underlooked story, right? I mean, we got this uh, issue featured uh, on the front page of USA Today, which, you know, dare I say, goes into practically every single hotel and motel room in the continental United States. Uh, And a few months ago, it was in the New York Times. Uh, A few months before that, it was, um, it got featured in the the Intercept, 
Um, and then uh, we got a huge, huge coverage in Korea, uh, in both English and Korean too. Um, and I understand that there, there's also been a few um, other documentary type projects uh, uh, film, filming um, following the stories uh, of the impacted uh, intercountry adoptees as well. And I think all these parts moving together in concerted effort got to really, really, really raise the profile of this crisis to the general public. And I'm really proud of the, the work that you guys have done. And really cannot thank you enough for Adam for this podcast to, you know, uh, bring this to the surface and enjoy and everyone, uh, Rana and everyone at the uh, ARC team uh, for doing what you do. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you. And, you know, we also got, I should want to just add to that is, you know, we have really raised the awareness, you know, with, um, you know, national press, but we have added the international aspect, the international press. So this year we also had BBC Brazil uh, put out a, a story in both Portuguese and in Spanish uh, to their uh, uh, associated uh, That's press. Amazing. And then we had World News, which is a, a domestic uh, uh, evangelical news organization. And um, so they have a far-reaching uh, audience as well. So this is growing and this is important. And, and what this does is, you know, it informs and it educates. And this is why these sorts of uh, media campaigns are so important. And I have to also congratulate Rana because she is our uh, social media person. And she actually handles uh, most of the incoming uh, press inquiries. And she does a good job of keeping them all sorted and organized and in line. And sometimes, you know, we work for months with, with uh, even up to a year we've worked with reporters. Um, and that takes a lot of our time. And Ron has just been, you know, that person for us. So uh, that that's on her. <laughs> and that's on top of all of your day jobs, too. So I'm just yeah, it's true. We all have day jobs <laughs> for our students. Um, but that's what it takes, right? I think that um, – and, and I'd much prefer, um, obviously, uh, you know, I, I think that's what – it shows how, you know, how important it is to people, that it's sort of a coalition um, and a movement of people who are doing it because they care about it, not because it's their profession, right? They're not getting paid to advocate for this. Uh, and I, I think that's it, it. It says a lot about sort of how important it is, mm -hmm. uh, and, and and it it almost makes it more. It, and it makes it more real to me, at least. You know, I, and um, you know, I guess like uh, you know, I, in terms of um, just to, I think just to circle back a little bit to um, talking about Congress and sort of maybe a few nuts and bolts, um. So when when a congressional term ends, um, what happens to the, a bill? Like I know, uh, does it need to be reintroduced? Like just what 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 uh, what can happen to a bill? Like the, will the bill change, or will just the same bill be introduced? So I guess if just a few details about that, we don't have to get into every nook and cranny. But um, well, so what happens to a bill um, at the end of Congress? Can Sung Kwan, maybe Sung Kwan can also um, speak on this and, and also explain that the rule that has uh, been 
in Congress for about the, you know, having a committee hearing. So and we can talk about how we were able to sort of accomplish that as well. Sure. Basically, when a when a Congress expires, all the bills that have not been enacted, basically, they evaporate, um, which means when a new Congress comes in and swears in and convenes and all that, um, everything, every new piece of legislation has to be introduced and has to be started from scratch again. Uh, okay. That being said, um, I mean, as, as far as how similar the next bill in the next Congress will be to this current one, uh, I can't really speak to that, but my sure. guess is it's probably going to be the same exact language, at least at the time of introduction. And that is barring uh, a few obstacles being, uh, primarily being finding a Republican co-lead to introduce the bill with, which was a huge challenge two years ago. And number two, um, those first Republicans who will be co-introducing the bill do not object significantly to the current language. And I say Republican because with the uh, huge confidence that um, the current lead, Congressman Adam Smith, who is a Democrat out of Washington state, will be the one introducing the bill again next Congress, as he has for the past three Congresses. And who is the, who is the Republican co-lead? Um, this time around? It was Congressman Rob Woodall, uh, who represents right. uh, suburban Atlanta, but unfortunately, uh, he decided not to write, re, uh, run for re-election, and that district... Mm-hmm. Sorry to cut in, but um, I did have... Um, uh, I, I did speak to Congressman Woodall, um, you know, a, a few months ago um, to get a statement from him. So quickly, we're going to share one clip from um, my conversation with Rep. Uh, Woodall, uh, and then we will continue on uh, with the rest of the pod. The justice is exactly what we're, we're talking about, uh, Adam. Some people, when they're thinking about legislation on the floor of the House, they're thinking about adding new benefits to someone or taking benefits away from someone. They're thinking about changing the law in terms of picking winners and and losers. Those are legitimate policy debates, but that is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about righting a wrong. There's absolutely no one in the United States Congress, not this year, not last year, not 10 years ago, not 30 years ago, who intended for these children, now adults, to have gotten left out of the system. No one wanted this. This was a mistake that we have the ability to fix. And, and I think that's one of the reasons it's so hard to get through the static of, of the public policy uh, debate is that folks are used to thinking about what Congress does uh, in terms of doing something new, of changing the rules. We don't usually have an opportunity simply to right the wrongs of the past, but that is the opportunity we have today, and that's why I'm so optimistic that we're going to be able to get this done. Thanks to Rep. Woodle for his time and statement, and we can continue on with the rest of the pod. Well, speaking of Congressman Woodall, I, um, if I can, you know, uh, digress just for a bit, going back to your previous question, Adam, um, my biggest concern for the new Congress is that the incoming Congress will be more polarized, uh, more politically polarized than ever before. 
as in we are going to have fewer members um, near the, uh, I guess, the center of the political spectrum, right? Whether that be a Democrat or a Republican. And typically, uh, so far, the Republicans who co-sponsored the Adoptive Citizenship Act have been those center-right or what you call, quote-unquote, compassionate conservatives, right? Uh, of which Congressman Wardle was one. And there's this wonderful, absolutely electrifying floor speech that he delivered uh, regarding this bill of, um, actually last November, right, um, as we were about to launch the NAAE, um, where he says, if we can't pass a common sense bill, compassionate bill like this, then Congress has no excuse to exist or something to that effect. And I'll send you the clip too, Adam, because it's just an absolutely invaluable verbatim to, I think, leave to, uh, leave in the record. But, um, to, to my point, um, so since the incoming uh, newly elected members uh, in the Democratic Party are more progressive than the existing members and the uh, incoming freshman Republican members are uh, more conservative than the existing members, um, I worry that it would be more difficult to court their support for this bill and for this issue in the new year. Um, although I, I, I do see um, a lot, of, I do have a lot of optimism based on the uh, progress we've made over the past two plus years uh, and uh, based on the fact that the incoming administration uh, will be uh, looking at, will hopefully be looking at this issue with uh, more open arms and open hearts. Um, and uh, those existing co members who have co-sponsored this bill either this year or the year before that will continue to co-sponsor and support this issue again in the new year. Um, and uh, to, Joy's, uh, to, to reaffirm Joy's point, there's a quote that I uh, like to maybe a little too often cite. It goes something like, people underestimate, um, uh, people overestimate the rate of change, but they underestimate the impact of change, right? Although we weren't able to pass this bill in the past two years or in the past four or six years, we have certainly made um, a lot of progress and these achievements are very much visible too. And I like to see them as these uh, little seeds that we've been sowing. And I think they're really, really, really close to blossoming into, um, and, uh, into something that we can, you know, uh, bring across the uh, finish line in the, in the next Congress. Um, but that's, of course, um, that, of course, requires the bill to be reintroduced uh, in the new Congress, hopefully earlier on than uh, it was uh, in the 116th Congress. And we have to start collecting and gathering co-sponsors and supporters again from scratch, uh, which means we have to reach every member of Congress again um, and deliver all these letters that uh, we've signed in the past two years, again, with fresh uh, fresh um, addresses and names. Um, and um, and uh, hopefully, uh, but our goal is still to reach the max number of 100 uh, members in the House, uh, bipartisan uh, uh, co-sponsors, which is said to be the number um, quote unquote required for a bill to get a full committee hearing. 
Um, and if a bill doesn't get a full committee hearing or get um, gets voted out of a committee, it can't advance to the full floor where the entire chamber votes uh, on the bill. Um, and uh, until we get to that, uh, it really isn't going to uh, get anywhere. So that's the major milestone that we are all hopefully um, trying to sprint towards. No, thanks for that. And I think it's important to note, I think just for the listeners and people, uh, is that um, the committee, the first step or one of the first steps um, for a bill is to get through committee. Uh, And if you can't get through committee, like Sun Kwan said, then it can't even be voted on by, um, by, you know, by the full, you know, full uh, house of, you know, the house of representatives or um, at all. So, um, you know, that's a very, very important step. Uh, and when you say 100 um, co-sponsors, uh, bipartisan, is it, do you mean 50 Democrats and 50 Republicans? Right. Okay. Or as close to uh, it as possible. Or as close to it, right. And, th- and that's not sort of like a number that's like an official threshold. That just, is that is that just sort of what people feel like it, that it would show enough support that the committee would feel compelled to, to have to have a hearing on it? I don't think that's listed on the rule books of the House, but that's sort of like the yeah unspoken rule, the uh, conventional wisdom uh, is what I've been told. Uh, and Joe, if you um, ha- you might actually know a little bit more on that front than I do, so if you have anything to add, I well, I am under the impression that it's a, a matter of um, di- under the direction of the the speaker. Um, of the house. And so, you know, if with, I'm assuming, and this is me speculating, I'm assuming the idea is, is pretty much what we're saying is that, look, you know, there's so much on the plates of Congress and our government that's, you know, obviously by the time it gets a, you know, a bill or an issue reaches the federal level, it's pretty important, right? So everything is important. And so there has to be, you know, um, significant uh, support for, for, um, them to, you know, feel like it's going to actually, um, you know, make a difference and, you know, go somewhere. I'm frustrated just that we have adoptees who can't get driver's licenses, they can't drive, they can't fly, um, they can't get medical, you know, all these horrible things are happening to this population. And we, outside of the adoptee communities, uh, has any sense of urgency. That's, that, that's the thing that's really difficult for me every day to live with is that this uh, population of adoptees were not important enough um, to mm-hmm. make sure that our lives stay on track. Um, we're all taxpayers. We're all contributing. We have families here. You know, we've been here 40 to 60 years in the United States and American families. And I like to always add that the majority or quite a few people that we've come across on these cases their parents served in the military. And that too doesn't seem to be important enough for Congress to do anything when they completely always do say that, you know, the military is a priority and, mm-hmm. and all of that. But yeah. we're family members of, of a lot of different branches of military. And, and still we're sitting here today after our 20 years struggling. And I just, I have a really hard time dealing with that. And, I I totally I agree with changes, you. But it's hard. It's hard uh, for the community to, you know, as every day passes, to watch the die. 
And is the rate of change, you know, in terms of, of security policy um, speeds up these, you know, uh, the impact has, you know, a real uh, tangible um, um, effect on uh, adoptees who just don't even have the right documentation. And um, I had yeah. a case uh, this week um, come to my attention where um, it's something that I hadn't really thought too, too much about until now, but I realized uh, adoptees without, and this is the biggest problem, right, is, is having consistent documentation. Um, they are vulnerable to identity theft. And yeah. When yeah, you yeah. are, when your identity has been stolen and money has been stolen from you and you have, you know, are on the hook for this, if you can't sort it out, if you can't prove who you are and um, you have consistent documentation that says, you know, right. what your name is. And You'll be on you, the hook for whatever that is. Yeah. that name, then you are in pretty big trouble right because um, then they will they won't help you sort of discharge whatever that debt is right oh it's or all the other stuff that can happen with right. identity theft so right. they'll you'll be on the hook right crazy yeah that is something i wouldn't have think thought of either but now that you mention it it makes sense that 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 adoptees without citizenship or consistent paperwork um would be vulnerable to that right right so it's a real issue and it it creates the, the, you know, the policies that we're seeing, you know, increase around, you know, a security and, and immigration or, um, you know, just sort of the, um, you know, whatever the identification requirements are, these are the toughest issues for adoptees to get around. Uh, you know, so yeah. these will stop you dead in your tracks if you cannot prove who you are any longer and what sort of status you you have. You are not going to go very far. It, it frustrates me too to know that every day that Congress fails to act on an issue like this can lead to a life being lost. Right. Oh, yeah. It's not really impacted um, mm -hmm. at the very least. Um, but uh, but it is the cold, hard reality that Congress or Washington is um, all about a game of priorities, uh, like you guys said. And I, I'm also frustrated that we have such limited options when it comes to instilling a sense of urgency and relaying this conveying this sense of importance um, and the critical need to those who have the power to make the change in Washington, um, there, we only have so many options to let them know and uh, move, move them to act on it. Um, so uh, I hate to sound like a broken record, and um, I, but re I think of the options presented before us, um, the best, the, the most effective way to do that, to get our senses across, is to let them know uh, repeatedly that we need this passed. We need them to take a look at this, and we need them to understand that it's urgent, and it could lead to a death. It could lead to a grave change in somebody's life, and that's not just a singular person. And But 
But then again, you know, Congress has failed to pass the federal budget in uh, more than a hundred times in the past, I don't know, 20 years or so. So yeah, look what happens. Look what happened with COVID. Exactly. And is happening. Exactly. And, so. and, and I worry because uh, I'm sure you guys are more, um, uh, more, you guys are more aware than I am, but uh, when it comes to a national health crisis like this, those who are underinsured and uninsured can't even, you know, try to go to the hospital and get treated, uh, let alone get vaccinated. And there are plenty of, of undocumented, uh, you know, or, or uh, impacted adoptees that are in that situation, I'm sure. Right, because, you know, even for the smallest of, of health care visits, you, you typically yeah. need an identification. So let's say you, um, and I t- I've talked about this before, we had an adoptee at one point that had an abscessed tooth. And by the time he was able to find a dentist that could address it, uh, you usually need an antibiotic for that afterwards. Um, and this is a sort of, a, it could be a deadly thing. Um, but if you sure. don't have an identification, how are you going to get prescriptions? You, you can't even pick up your prescription. So even if you can get in to see a, a physician who will sort of, you know, um, see you anyway without your, your identification, if you um, are needing medic- medication of any kind from a pharmacy, you're not going to get it if you don't have an identification that is, you know, adequate. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you, you make such a, you know, we make a great point about how this is literally a life and death um, issue. And, and, um, I do see, I do think that we should have hope, you know, as we've talked about how we're getting increasing amounts of awareness and support. Uh, and we've learned a lot of lessons about what we need to do, but sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a calculation on the point of, of the, of the, uh, of the politicians to say, I don't, I'm not going to spend time on a bill that I don't think is going to get passed. And that's why I feel like there's that like unwritten rule of you need to show X amount of support for the bill to even have a committee hearing because to them, they feel, you know, if they have five people supporting this bill and we can only have, you know, we have a finite amount of time and energy, uh, why spend time on that bill? Well, you're uh, and, and it's, and that sucks. I hate saying that. But that's sort of like the cold reality of why we spent so much time, or maybe not me personally, but a lot of people, you know, Joy and Rana and Sun Quan have spent so much time trying to get support for it. Because if it was simply an issue of saying, look at how, you know, it's as simple as doing X, Y, and Z, because honestly, this is a, a fairly simple bill, right? And when you look at it, um, and it will save X, Y amount of lives or, or, you know, fix the problem. If it were as simple as just laying that out and passing a bill, then they would have been done. But it's not that simple, right? Uh, unfortunately, and but I do think that you know, you know, Rana, you make a point that um, there is you you feel a little safer uh, in this in uh, uh, with this incoming administration, just a little bit safer. Um, and hopefully, hopefully that'll be true, you know, and, but, and I would, mu- and I've said this, you know, I've been saying this to, to people, but I would much rather, um, try to advocate with the Democratic Party than with the Republican Party, right? And I think at least with this Biden administration, 
even though I'm not saying that I feel like they're going to give that there's like a huge chance, there's a better chance that we're going to be able to get this passed under a Biden administration than we would any Republican administration. I just think that's a a fact. I'm hoping it's going to be a safer environment, but uh, I do think we need to task the State Department with them having an open dialogue with immigration uses because they don't talk so nicely to adoptees. You know, there's scare tactics, Mm -hmm. you know, they act like we're illegal. Um, Sometimes in these conversations, they don't even really identify you as an adoptee. And so um, there's not not been any sensitivity um, in dealing with this population. And so I'm hoping going into a new administration that maybe the dialogue will be better um, and they'll be more conscious of our plight. And, and, you know, because when I look at the DACA population, you know, I know there's um, a little bit of similarity, but there's a vast difference, you know, as to how we came here through policy and all that. But they have they have protections like nobody's protecting or looking out for us at this point. And, and that's the thing that also frustrates me is that in the four years that I've been with Adoptee Rights Campaign and and I've been in this issue so much and um, with other impacted adoptees that nobody is looking out for this population. We're the only ones looking out for ourselves. Like we're the only ones that are showing up and, and demanding and asking for change. I just feel like sometimes I'm so frustrated because the government government agencies just aren't walking in step with us and saying, you know, we're going to support this and this is what we're doing to to help you. And I feel like that's what's been missing as well through this entire journey of not having citizenship. Well, it's true. I hope that happens because even if it, even if there isn't any sort of change other than that, that's still a good change, you know, because it'll at least maybe you'll feel like there's a little bit more support or care right, given to the population. And that's important. Well, on the uh, legislative front, um, I do see a little bit of, I guess, rays of hope in that uh, we did, we had a few, I guess, uh, committee leaders and uh, uh, party leaders or, or um, certain caucus leaders who supported the bill in this Congress, which hopefully um, would translate into more weight uh, behind getting support for the bill. Um, and, you know, we had a really broad coalition of supporters, both in Congress and outside of Congress uh, for this issue too, right? Um, I mean, among the co-sponsors, we have one of the most progressive or some of the most progressive members co-sponsoring it at, well, at the same time as some of the most progressive member, uh, most conservative members uh, supporting the bill um, and we've had several religious, uh, religious groups and, uh, other adopt, adopt, uh, adoption and adoptee rights advocates, uh, joining forces together with us to help bring this, uh, bill across the finish line. So, uh, hopefully we'll keep the momentum and, uh, hopefully, uh, with the, envi- with the administration, with the new administration, there will be a new sense, new atmosphere not only politically, but, you know, culturally across the United States for, for people like Rana uh, to feel safer to really be yourself and go back to, you know, your normal life that you had um, a few years ago. I think that's, yeah. that's so important. Uh, what Rana said in terms of the, the, the 
the air of safety, you, you know, um, the, the ability to breathe a little bit right. more, uh, to relax a little bit more, to not have it just, you know, sort of a 24-7, you know, constant sense of anxiety um, over this issue. I, I, that's yeah. really important. Uh, I wanted to mention, too, that um, when Sun Quan uh, um, a, w- a while back was referring to, you know, our goals going into this this uh, prior Congress um, of having, you know, an early introduction. I, I wanted to add, tack on to that to say that one of our goals was also to have a, a language that was the broadest of sorts. If we remember, uh, the bill that came out in the 115th Congress had exclusions at introduction, and that was a shock. I know to everyone, and it was very concerning. Um, yeah. It's not something that was initially expected. Um, uh, and then, obviously, the bill didn't, you know, really even garner. You know, um, it's it made its its progress, but it certainly didn't garner the support. So, I think it's interesting to and and, and um, important to note that. This year, one of the largest, um, you know, accomplishments right out of the gate was that we got the bill that was, you know, introduced, you know, in 2015. So the language reverted to the most expansive version. And not only that, so that was, you know, first accomplishment, but at the end, by the end of the year, we also have had the most amount of sponsors for it. So I think that that's telling too, to say, you know, we've, this language is important. And even, you know, in all of these political difficulties, um, you know, with the COVID and the immigration and the partisanship, um, we have still managed to, you know, double our sponsorship over the last Congress, as well as, you know, um, increase the language, expand the language. So I think that that's telling. And I think it's really important. And on that note, I I would say that I did uh, uh, meet with um, the co-sponsors from um, Adam, Congressman Smith's office, and I'm under the impression that uh, they intend to reintroduce again, very quickly, that that is their hope to, uh, to reintroduce Mm. Early on in the in the year, um, as we said before, the challenge is finding a Republican co-sponsor, and so they've got some ideas on that, and, and are definitely already working sure. on that. Um, so you know that's our challenge, but um, I think they also. It's my understanding that they are looking to keep the bill language to reintroduce the same language. Let's That's really, that. really good news. Let's move on uh, that, you know, uh, momentum. Let's keep it going. Um, I think that it's uh, the most um, consistent thing. That's what we need. Yeah. It's also, I think um, it, it's shown that it can garner support, as you mentioned, Joy. Um, but I think just from a standpoint of you have to go for like, everything you want or almost everything you want up front, right? Don't negotiate with yourself before you negotiate with, you know, the other side, right? Um, in, in a sense, like, and, and, and just, you know, and, and it makes me really glad that you, that you feel that um, Congressman Smith uh, will be introducing sort of the current bill and, and the most expansive uh, language as possible. Um, 
because that's just we th- that's that that's what we want. And you don't you don't introduce something with compromises already. That that's just how my I feel about it. Well, I mean, nobody wants to, of course, um, but. I would like to just remind everyone that we don't have control over that. Uh, (laughs) You you know, so um, what our job has been is to, um, you know, to make the policymakers aware of the impact of the language and how these things will roll out and um, how language, um, even the smallest of, um, sort of cuts really come down to um, separating and dividing families. And that's what this is all about, mm-hmm. right? It's about, mm-hmm. you know, the integrity of these families that are Americans. These are American families. These are American citizens who have adopted family members. And, you know, and then, you know, these adoptees have grown up and had, you know, children who are Americans. And so this is the American family unit. And, you know, we, we, we need our families, we need our communities. And so, you know, families and communities all across the nation are affected by this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And obviously, <laughs> we on this podcast and advocates do not write the bills, <laughs> write the language of the bills. But I just think it's great that we feel like he's going to be introducing, you know, uh, better language that we feel better about than, than, than not. Right, of um, course, of course. That's always the goal. Um, yeah, so is to advocate for that for right. sure. So going forward, we have a lot of challenges. Um, you know, they're <laughs> winding back up is is always you know um, you know a big task. But there are a lot of organizations, as we said earlier in the podcast here, that um, have come on board. And I just feel like um, I, what I would like people to know um, is that. If you want to get involved, there are so many different ways to, to do that uh, in your own community um, or in your own comfort uh, area with so many organizations. Um, and we will we're putting together a list and we'll continue to do that mm-hmm. and update it of the coalitions of the, of the, the various coalitions. Um, I would say that the National Alliance for Adoptee Equality is really the first national uh, consortium of organizations across the nation. So that's something new and that's a step of progress. I think. Um, and uh, we continue to work on updating our list of organizations and where they're located so that people can know where they can go to get involved. They don't have to only get involved with Adoptee Rights Campaign or only get involved with Adoptees for Justice or, you know, or, or whomever. They can, you know, the goal is, is for all of our communities to be working on this regardless of, of you know, and if there's one particular issue that you feel is, you know, more inclined or, you know, to advocate for, if you are particularly um, affected uh, more by, um, you know, one aspect of this bill than the other, I think that's totally fine. I think what we need, mm-hmm. we need mm-hmm. all hands on deck. And so if you want to advocate, you want to get involved, please do so and do not feel like you have to um, choose or, um, you know, have it all one way or all another way. Um, We totally need your help. Adoptees need your help. Uh, You know, if if you have a pension for this, come forward and and help out wherever you are. Yeah, 100 percent. And we'll have um, we'll list that. Um, we'll have a, a links to to those lists and to the various organizations um, in the show notes as well. So, um, 
you know, we want, we don't want to mention it and then make it hard for you to find. So we'll, we'll make it as easy to find as, as we can. Um, I guess, uh, just, just, you know, we're going to, we're going to wrap this, this conversation up and I, I've had such a great time. Um, and you know, I'm, you know, thankful for, for all of you, um, for having, you know, to raising your voice and, and being on this, uh, especially you, Rana, you know, you're, you're the most <laughs> at risk of, of any one of us. Uh, and, um, you know, it really, it, you know, it, it, it really is, you know, I think brave of you, um, to come forward. And so I, I guess like, um, you know, just going forward, right. With the advocacy and sort of, um, and what's going on, uh, what's going to be happening. Um, could you, could Joy, could you mention sort of like how you like some of the organizations you know, we've mentioned National Alliance for Adoptee Equality. We've mentioned uh, the Korean American Grassroots Conference. Um, so I guess if you could just mention um, wh- how you feel like what are the options of getting involved? Uh, maybe if you don't want to be like part of a coalition specifically. Um, what what other ways can people help? Sure, sure. Well, on the coalition side, um, you know, as we know, A4J is still working on this. And I think that, you know, they have a specific interest in um, adoptees who have been deported. And I, you know, I think that that's all part of this issue. Um, oh, yeah, 100%. You know, so I think that their work is valuable. And, um, you know, they're not going anywhere. And so there's you know, they're around as well. Um, I know um, there are a number of on the Korean in the Korean communities, there are a number of consulates that are um, also um, sort of uh, involved in the communities. Um, They, they uh, have limits as to what they, you know, their involvement can do or can be. But uh, if you're within the Korean community and you need to know, you, you know, where to get involved, that's, that's one place you can start. The other place is really just reaching out to your own uh, members of Congress and, you know, uh, ta- having this conversation. And, and when I say reaching out, um, I, what I really mean to say is a consistent, having a consistent dialogue with your members of Congress. Um, you know, the amount of contact between um, a constituent and a congressperson is very, very limited, right? There's not a lot of yeah. access. And so you have to be persistent. Um, and, you know, this is an issue that you really, you know, it's wonderful if, if you care about this issue and you're going to sign a petition and you even make a phone call. But it's even better if you're if you make a commitment to do this, uh, you know, on a weekly basis or a monthly basis or whatever it takes, you know, unfortunately, you know, this is just where we're at with, you know, our system. And is there any particular method of contacting them that you feel is more effective that they listen to more or is it and or is it more about the consistency of just doing it, you know, on a weekly or a monthly basis? Right. Well, I think that we all have different degrees of capacity, right? And so some of us can only make phone calls and some of us, Mm -hmm. especially during COVID, um, you know, we can only write letters, but, you know, COVID's been an interesting time. I do happen to know that more members have been available by video. Uh, Oh, really? By Zoom or whatever? Yes. um, So so more requests have been um, granted for 
meetings with members because they've been more available. So that's interesting. Um, but I think, you know, to whatever one's capacity is, I've often heard people say, well, I really don't have the time to be going to my representative's office. And so that's okay. If you can, you know, maybe set up a, a you know, sort of a, an email chain or something of that nature. There's so many different ways, constant, consistent, persistent is what we're looking okay. for. Awesome. Awesome. Um, but did any, did, did anyone have sort of a broad ideas or, or maybe even specific sort of points that people should make when, um, calling their congressperson or even just talking to a friend or member of the family that is not aware of what's going on? Well, as an impacted person, um, one, I think it's always helpful to lean on other impacted adoptees uh, okay. just for the support and understanding, you know, because you're on the same journey, it's difficult um, and you need the emotional support for it. Um, sometimes you're not getting that from your family. Um, there seems to be a lot of dysfunction there with impacted adoptees and families, uh, especially with this issue. It can kind of make it uncomfortable. Um, and yeah, definitely reach out to your congressperson, get them familiar with your case. Um, I've reached out to my congressperson over the years to help me with my, um, different paperwork to get it going. Um, sometimes stuff gets stuck or I, I don't have help on anything. And it just kind of helps lighten the burden that the adoptee has with constantly shuffling paperwork, looking for things. Um, I, think a lot of impacted adoptees spend a lot of time shuffling paper. It's, it's really frustrating. Um, so my recommendation is there. Also, another thing that adoptees have done in the past and still continue to do is they advocate and they, they share their stories to the media. Like they will take it upon themselves in their local um, area and reach out to mm -hmm. their news team and ask them if they would like the story. And, and that's been a really good way as well to kind of get uh, national exposure to our stories. And so, um, that's another way or, or to a local newspaper. So, um, I just have to commend all of the adoptees over the last four years for being brave and strong and stepping forward out of the shadows. Cause that's kind of where we've been, you know, cause it just, just there's been so much fear, you know, and there's not been a lot of, happening. Mm. and so I think we've, all found our voices and we're going to continue the march to DC and we're going to demand the change and it's going to happen. I just, it will. Yes. It's, you know, we're just going to just have to keep at it and, and just um, stay hopeful. I, I think I just want to, you know, make sure to thank KGC for, you know, your partnership. It's just made an immense difference. Um, I, you know, I, I think I've said that before, I, words seem to, you know, be inadequate to express our gratitude and, and really just um, the amount of growth that we've seen um, as a result of your support and your friendship and your, your partnership and your sponsorship of, of this issue. It, it really just took our um, you know, capacity and our, um, you know, our work and just amplified it um, tenfold. It's just been really amazing. I just thank you so much for your partnership and your work. Well, thank you for the kind words and really um, thank you more importantly for the, uh, the trust that you've uh, shared with me and KAGC over the past two years. I really appreciate um, 
uh, you always including KAGC as well as me to these um, these efforts, whether it's the in-person events um, or podcasts like this. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, as um, as an ally and as an advocate, um, I'm always trying to learn um, uh, how I can better serve as an effective ally um, and not get in the way of the um, the actually impacted people um, presenting their cases and bravely, courageously stepping forward. Um, and I've learned a lot and I'm still learning a lot, um, but I really, really appreciate all the lessons and uh, friendship and partnership and, again, the trust that uh, you've shared with me. Thank you. And Adam, thank, thank you. you too. Thank you, Plan A Magazine, for um, thank you. you know the amount of time and effort um, that you're putting into these um, sessions. I know that um, I have. To, I was thinking about this earlier. We originally um, began to talk about doing this podcast what like three years ago. Something like that. Uh, crazy. Something crazy <laughs> like that. Um, and I think, though, I want to say that I think that these things take time to evolve um at our change our culture our politics everything does change quite quickly and i think our idea was that every time we would sort of sit down and say okay maybe now is the time to do this before you we knew it something else had you know massively changed this sort of landscape and we were sort of going back to the drawing board each and every time so i think it was really sort of a um, even though we didn't understand, you know, we couldn't have uh, foretold this. I think it was best for us to wait and yeah. allow the situation to evolve. And I think the way that we were able to do this in three pieces and cover this issue, um, again, um, we titled this um, the manufactured crisis. And uh, um, I sort of see it that way because, y- you know, governments are the ones that issue citizenship. And Mm -hmm. so that means two things. Failed citizenship is, you know, an an aspect of of manufacturing. Um, And also on the upside of this, it can be solved. It's not an unsolvable issue because there is a body to do it. And so we're not, this is not an unsolvable thing. And so it is manufactured in the sense that it's a problem, but it can also be manufactured to be made right. Yeah, that's an amazing point. An amazing point. I think a a good, a good, um, you know, hopeful point to, to, to end on. So, um, Thanks for the kind words as well for, for, for me and for the magazine. Um, but um, I, I'm just, I'm just thankful that, um, you know, I think Joy, you, you know, you reached out to me probably three years, four years ago to, to learn about this and become involved. Uh, and, you know, I'm thankful that you did that and um, that I've learned about this because honestly, this was something that I just didn't even know was, was an, a problem and that my fellow adoptees were, uh, affected by this and 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 suffering under this manufactured crisis, and um, so it's been a privilege for me to be able to you know be given the trust uh, to 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 help advocate for it. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so um, thanks uh, thanks everyone for listening, um, and uh, you know uh, and for your support and. Uh, There'll be many links to to information as we've mentioned uh, and um, 
Thanks everyone for being on the, the pod. 